welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Turn the Page Podcast. This is Jessica. I am your host today, and I am super excited to have with me an author from across the pond. It's always it's always nice to speak to somebody with a different accent. Uh, do you do you all feel that way about Americans when you speak to us, or are you just like, ugh, an American yeah, look, accent? <laughs> I mean, first of all, I thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure to do this with you. Um, and secondly. Look, I'm a writer. I'm really happy to speak to anyone. I oh, mean, awesome. It's a really okay, cool. solitary experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome, Lexi Elliott, to um, Turn the Page podcast. And uh, today we're talking about your latest thriller, Bright and Deadly Things. And this was a really interesting one for several reasons, um, especially because the place that the thriller is um, set is a real place, which... Uh, you talk a little bit about in the beginning of the book before we get into it, but of course, it sends a reader down a rabbit hole of looking at this place. Um, and you kind of make a point to say that this isn't necessarily like when like it's not like actually a place where you would think a thriller would happen, but you decided to set a thriller there. So um, why don't you tell us first a little bit about um bright and deadly things what's it about and then we can kind of go to setting and character and all of that good stuff sure um well bright and deadly things is a psychological thriller as you said it's my it's my fourth novel um it is centered around um uh, an oxford fellow emily who has been recently widowed and she accepts an invitation to go to a um, chalet in the French Alps, where um, one of the Oxford colleges is running a reading party, which is essentially, you know, a week long visit where you do some walking, you do some reading, you know, it, it, it with fellow dons, undergrads, graduates, you know, people from all different strata within the university. And, you know, like you said, this is a real thing, right? Um, I, when I was doing my doctorate, I got invited to go to just exactly that, um, a reading party at the Chalet des Anglais, which is in the French Alps. Um, had a lovely week, nobody died. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it just kind of stuck in my mind as um, being a, a great place to do something different for a campus thriller, but not on campus, if you see what I mean. Because, uh, you know, those, those kind of campus thrillers have been done very well by many other people. And, you know, you you want to look for something just a little bit fresh, a little bit interesting. And the idea of taking the group dynamic out of Oxford into another place, which is still kind of Oxford rules, but in an entirely different environment was, was one that appealed to me. Right. It's kind of like, um, it's not so much dark academia as it is dark academics. <laughs> <laughs> you yes. kind of think about it that way, um, you know, academics with secrets. And um, the main character, Emily, is recently widowed and her feelings of grief and just, I think, sort of the whole dynamic of grief and how 
it makes you question a lot, um, really comes into play in the way that um, she relates to the world around her and also the other academics who are with her. Um, she's kind of like experienced some weird phenomena in the wake of her husband's death, including um, break-ins and other things. And she's about to go on this retreat and she's questioning like her own sanity because there's so much about this chalet that is, it has like this weird history. There's this grandfather clock, which is a character in and of itself. And then there's the people she's there with um, some of which she's known before and some of which she hasn't. Um, so I, I've seen it described as like a locked room mystery, um, which um, would you like to kind of define what that means? I, I know I know what it means, but um, what, was that what you were thinking when you were writing it? Um, look, I think my understanding of, you know, a real um, specific locked room mystery is that it's something where, you know, you have to figure out how somebody could have got into a locked environment and done the crime and got away without leaving a trace. Right. You know, so something when, I'm reading, like... when I was reading those reviews, I was like, I mean, I would say like, cause that, and that's kind of why I was like asking, yeah. you, you know, I no. feel like defi definitions sort of, they, they change, but I would say this is more like a claustrophobic mystery, less so locked room because locked room is really like, yeah. like either you're like in like an environment where literally nobody could really, it has to be this group of people, you know, or there's like a snowstorm keeping everybody in. Like it's a very, but it's claustrophobic, but I would say that this yeah. one, even though it's set in the French Alps is more of a claustrophobic mystery than like a traditional locked room. Yeah. I would call it kind of a, a closed environment mystery where you, you would, you come to understand as a reader that whoever did this has to come from a cast of characters that you have been presented with. Um, it's not a classic, you know, Agatha Christie-esque um, one where you're trying to work out, did they come in through the window? Did they drop a key down the the chimney? You know, how did it work? It's not it's not quite like that, but it is, a, it is what I would call a closed environment mystery. And I like that. I like the fact that you would take these people out of their natural environment, put them in another one, and not really allow them to escape each other or their own thoughts. They are they are there together, and when things start to get go wrong, they have to muddle along together or or butt up against each other. They don't really have a a way out of this very easily. So. Um, it works very well as a thriller writer for it to have that kind of environment. And the Chalet des Anglais, which, um, as we've already spoken about, is a real place. I mean, I was there in the year, I think it was 2000. And I've got to confess that my memory is not so fantastic that I would be able to, you know, write down the exact layout of it some 20 years later. And given the pandemic, I couldn't even go and visit it. So... Um, it is a mishmash of my memories and, you know, um, information gleaned from talking to others. But it's also, I've also tweaked it to fit 
the story as as it needed to and i've tweaked the you know surrounding geographical location a little bit to suit the story better um but you know that's what we we writers do <laughs> yeah it's interesting because when um I, of course, was like, oh, this is a real place. I have to find out about it. There's like a Facebook page that's chronicling all the reading parties and who the um, current fellow is of it. I mean, it really is, you know, something, it is really something very interesting. Um, But let's talk about the characters. So, okay, so you have Emily who is deep in grief and obviously something is not right um and you know some of it is like is this in her head is this her grief or you know is there something else going on here um but then you have like um you know she there are these characters that she's known for a while like will and jenna who are having their own thing and then there's um Oh, there's James and Caleb and there's Akash and um, I believe Robert is the current fellow, um, you know, and like one of the things that I found interesting when I was reading this was, you know, you you talk a little bit about what they do while they're there. And I went on the Facebook page and there's like, you know, so and so going for a croissant run and <laughs> the book. I was like, I love this. This is so meta. It's perfect. Uh, but you you sort of like weave the stories. This is definitely Emily's story, but you do have other perspectives in it that give just enough information, but not too much. Um, did you play with the idea of having multiple perspectives um, first, or did that sort of come in that you know you wanted to sort of draw the world around Emily in such a way? that we would really kind of get to know these other people around them, but not enough. Yeah, it came as I was writing it. Um, I felt like there was one particular character, and I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it, um, that we really did need to hear a little bit from. And, And then if you were hearing from her, it made sense to hear from other people. And um, and that sort of started me down this this idea of having snippets of of diaries um, throughout the the novel, which allows you to see, as you say, other people's perspectives um, on the situation, on each other. Um, and as a writer, it was quite an interesting technical exercise, actually, because. My previous novel, How to Kill Your Best Friend, was written as a dual narrative. So I'd, I'd handled two voices before, but this is, you know, a lot more than two voices, albeit that the main narrative voice is Emily's. Um, and I had to work really hard to make sure that each of those little snippets from somebody else's point of view were were distinct in their voice, but also served a purpose. You know, they weren't just there as fluff. They had to tell you something and move the story along in some way. And so that became quite a a technical challenge as a writer, but it's great when you find ways to challenge yourself and do something a little bit new. I mean, that's what keeps it being fresh. Yeah, I have to say, I am actually, um, and have grown to be a fan of the dual perspectives or several narrative um, way because it is a really good way of getting a very full picture um, and also sort of 
getting just enough information to know that certain people know some things and some people know other things and some people are just clueless and you're just kind of, you know, it's like that, that feeling of just being there, being like really um, uh, omnipotent and being like, ah, yeah, this is what you think, huh? Well, it, it's, it's really kind of um, a, a good way, especially when you're writing, when, when you're writing or, or sorry, and reading a thriller where, um, you know, you really feel like you're getting a front row seat to everything. Um, and I, I really like that. Um, but I think like one of the things, you know, um, I was curious about also is, did you, did you immediately conceive this also as a grief story? Um, Yes, when I I think when I did the outline, that was very much the case. Uh, I wrote this. Um, a lot of it was written in the months after my mum died, and uh, you you're never. I don't think you ever know exactly what goes into your writing, and then you maybe finish something and look back and go, "Ha, ah, that I was clearly quite heavily influenced by that," you know. Um, so. I think there was an element of, uh, there was an element that was conscious and there was an element that was unconscious about how that grief trickled in um, and what effect that would have on Emily's state of mind, on her um, self-confidence in her own assessment of the situation. I mean, they're, they're not called psychological thrillers for nothing. You have to kind of live in a world where you do wonder about the main narrator's headspace and, and what they're going through. And, you know, unreliable narrators, you know, a well-known and, and obvious device in these kind of novels. But there are different ways of achieving that, you know, putting someone in a position where you might wonder, huh, what, oh, would I react like that? Is she reacting like that because of her own personal situation and and the you know, the, the grief that she's operating under. Yeah, um, I I like that. And um, I think that that's true. And I like, you know, I, I think like when you do, you know, from, from what I, I've been, I get from talking to a lot of writers, you know, a lot of times I remember the old adage, write what you know, and sometimes you're, you don't want to write like exactly your life right and like no. if that was the case we'd have no fantasy we'd have no sci-fi but emotion is certainly something that people can write what they know whether they realize they're doing it or not or interpersonal relationships you know those and relationships to a world that's stuff that can go in and you're writing what you know so even though you you went to the you went to this chalet and nobody died <laughs> um, that was a, you know that was something but also yeah the uh, emotion so um first of all my condolences to you thank you um second of all um it just it added layers to the story and it was it was it was good um uh, so other than emily was, was there a character that you really enjoyed writing or maybe one that fought you more than others enjoyed writing um uh, I love Olive. I think she, she's just a darling and, you know, maybe a bit of a palate cleanser to write every every once in a while. Um, I love her perspective on the world. Um, uh, 
Look, I, I generally like all my characters, even the ones who do terrible, terrible things, because at the end of the day, you, if you are going to write character-driven uh, novels, which, which is very much what I'm doing, then their character arc has to be believable. You have to understand how they got to where they are. And, and maybe you really, really hope you would make different decisions in their place when they, when they choose, you know, a very wrong thing to do. But at the same time, you can understand why they might have chosen to that, to do that, because you understand these, these people and, and they are people in my head. They are, they are real people in my head. And, you know, going back to your comment around the, the genres, um, I think, good characterization and you know proper believable rounded human beings on the page is what transcends the different genres and you know a, a science fiction novel without um any interesting characterization is very cold you know a fancy novel flies it not only because the world is built beautifully but because you care about what happens to those people within it so really in any genre i think the characterization is really key so I have another question just regarding, so you you worked in finance at one point. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I, I after my doctorate, I went into the city, worked for an investment bank for best part of 10 years. And then after that, I worked for an asset management company until, um, well, I guess until the middle of 2021. I still do a little bit of financial consultancy on the side when, when there's something interesting to do. <laughs> I well, I was going to ask if you if you missed that life at all, but you kind of uh, you you kind of answered that because you do do a little bit of it. Um, but that's did you uh, did you like want to be a writer way back when, and you were just like I'm going to go into something sensible like this, and then writing <laughs> again. Yeah, <laughs> without kind wasn't of. as sensible um... as it <laughs> seemed because the world was like, yeah, finances. Let's let's talk about that. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to be a writer. As soon as I understood that books were created by writers, you know, as soon as I was old enough to know they didn't just kind of appear on a shelf somewhere, uh, that was what I wanted to do. And and um, once I could string sentences together, I was writing little stories and taking them into my, um, my primary school teacher. So, yeah, absolutely always wanted to do that. But, you know, I don't. I don't come from a background where there was any safety net. If I was going to make my way in the world, I, it was me who was going to have to make my way in the world. And I didn't really quite see how you how you make a living as a writer. It's, it's a very tough thing to do. So um, when I was at the end of school, when I was looking at university, I was tossing up between English and physics. And actually, I just felt like, you can follow an interest in literature in your own time. And I wasn't going to be able to follow physics in my own time. So I went to Oxford University to do physics um, and then did a doctorate in it. And then that put me in a good place to go and work for an investment bank. And, you know, you asked, do I miss it? I don't really miss the investment bank so much, but um, I mean, I taught that taught me a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, and it was a really formative part of my financial industry career but uh the I, I miss certain people that I worked a lot with subsequently and some of those I'd worked with at the investment bank and, and we'd kind of continued our professional relationship but yeah I miss I miss having an office to go into three days a week because that's what I was doing um you know it was a nice balance and 
I I notice more now just how solitary writing is and it is lovely to do bits and bobs of other things but um I do have to work quite hard to make sure that I see people my my husband travels quite a lot for work my my boys are at boarding schools so you know I I have to be very diligent about not just disappearing down the rabbit hole of whatever I'm writing at that moment and never coming up for air right it's not very healthy <laughs> Well, thank you so much for writing. Um, are you working on another book at the moment? Um, so I've been working on the outline for another one, and then I've been doing something on the side and in a different genre, just as a, a kind of a palate cleanser, I suppose you'd say, after four psychological thrillers. So, so you know, I would love to to continue to write in the thriller genre, but also do um, something in the fancy genre at the same time. So we'll see how that pans out. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, first of all, thanks. First of all, we're, we're at the end of our interview. Thanks again um, for joining us. And um, Bright and Deadly Things is definitely going to be um, something that people are going to snap up really quickly um, and maybe cross read with information about um, about the real location. Um, because I, I found myself fascinated with it myself. Um, so yeah, I always, I always like it sometimes when like, I can do what I call parallel reading, like I'm reading this one thing, and then it leads me to research another part of something that comes up in it. So that was, that was pretty interesting, just sort of reading the book, and then like, looking at pictures of this place, which, you know, is lovely, and this did not happen at, but um, yeah, <laughs> uh, readers are going to really enjoy it. There's um, some real atmosphere and some good characters, and uh, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure, and I'm so glad you enjoyed it. You're welcome. Uh, so once again, this was Jessica with Syosset Libraries Turn the Page podcast. Our guest was... Lexi Elliott. And we are going to close this chapter of Turn the Page. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.